Section 12 of the Underground Railroad, Part 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Underground Railroad, Part 4, by William Still. Section 12. Arrival from Georgetown, D.C., 1858. Perry Clexton, Jim Banks, and Charles Knoll. This party found no very serious obstacles in their travels, as their plans were well arranged, and as they had at least natural ability sufficient for ordinary emergencies. Perry reported that he left a man by the name of John M. Williams, of Georgetown, D.C., who was in the wood business, and kept a wharf. As to treatment, he said that he had not been used very hard, but had been worked hard and allowed but few privileges. The paltry sum of twenty-five cents a week was all that was allowed him out of his hire. With a wife and one child, this might seem a small sum, but in reality it was a liberal outlay compared with what many slaves were allowed. Perry, being a ready-witted article, thought it was hardly fair that Mr. Williams should live by the sweat of his brow instead of his own, and able to work for himself, in Perry's opinion. For a length of time, the notion of leaving and going to Canada was uppermost in his heart. Probably he would have acted with more promptness, but for the fact that his wife and child rested with great weight on his mind. Finally, the pressure became so great that he felt that he must leave at all hazards, forsaking wife and child, master and chains. He was a young man of about twenty-five years of age, of a dark shade, ordinary build, and full of grit. His wife was named Amelia. Whether she ever afterwards heard from her husband is a question. Jim, who accompanied Perry, brought the shoemaking art with him. He had been held a slave under John J. Richards, although he was quite as much a white man as he was black. He was a mulatto, twenty-nine years of age, well-made, and bore a grum countenance, but a brave and manly will to keep up his courage on the way. He said that he had been used very well, had no fault to find with John J. Richards, who was possibly a near relative of his. He forsook his mother, four brothers, and three sisters, with no hope of ever seeing them again. Charles bore strong testimony in favor of his master, Blooker W. Hansborough, a farmer and first-rate man to his servants, said Charles. I was used very well, can't complain. Why did you not remain, then? asked a member of the committee. I left, answered C., because I was not allowed to live with my wife. She, with our six children, lived a long distance from my master's place, and he would not hire me out where I could live near my wife. So I made up my mind that I would try and do better. I could see no enjoyment that way. As the secret of his master's treatment is here brought to light, it is very evident that Charles, in speaking so highly in his favor, failed to take a just view of him as no man could really be first-rate to his servants, who would not allow a man to live with his wife and children, and who would persist in taking from another what he had no right to take. Nevertheless, as Charles thought his master first-rate, he shall have the benefit of the opinion, but it was suspected that Charles was not disposed to find fault with his kin, as it was very likely that the old master claimed some of the white blood in his veins. Arrival from Sussex County, 1858. Jacob Bloxon, George Olligood, Jim Olligood, and George Lewis. The coming of Jacob and his companions was welcomed in the usual way. 
the marks of slavery upon them were evident, however they were subjected to the usual critical examination, which they bore with composure and without the least damage. The following notes in the main were recorded from their statements. Jacob was a stout and healthy-looking man, about twenty-seven years of age, with a countenance indicative of having no sympathy with slavery. Being invited to tell his own story, describe his master, etc., he unhesitatingly relieved himself somewhat after this manner. I escaped from a man by the name of Jesse W. Patton. He was a man of no business except drinking whiskey and farming. He was a light-complected man, tall, large, and full-faced, with a large nose. He was a widower. He belonged to no society of any kind. He lived near Seaford in Sussex County, Delaware. I left because I didn't want to stay with him any longer. My master was about to be sold out this fall, and I made up my mind that I did not want to be sold like a horse, the way they generally sold darkies then. So when I started, I resolved to die sooner than I would be taken back. This was my intention all the while. I left my wife and one child. The wife's name was Lear, and the child was called Alexander. I want to get them on soon, too. I made some arrangements for their coming if I got off safe to Canada. George was next called upon to give his statement concerning where he was from, etc. I escaped from Sussex, too, from a man by the name of George M. Davis, a large man, dark-complected, and about fifty years of age. He belonged to the Old Side Methodist Church, was a man with a family, and followed farming, or had farming done by me and others. Besides, he was a justice of the peace. I always believed that the master above had no wish for me to be held in bondage all my days. But I thought if I made up my mind to stay in slavery, and not to make a desperate trial for my freedom, I would never have any better times. I had heard that my old mistress had willed me to her children, and children's children. I thought at this rate there was no use of holding on any longer for the good time to come. So here I said, I am going if I die a-trying. I got me a dagger, and made up my mind if they attempted to take me on the road, I would have one man. As for my part, I have not had it so slavish as many, but I have never had any privileges to learn to read or to go about anywhere. Now and then they let me go to church. My master belonged to church, and so did I. For a young man being only twenty-two years of age, who had been kept from the light of freedom as much as he had, his story was thought to be exceedingly well told throughout. James, a brother of George, said, I came from Horses Crossroads, not far from where my brother George came from. William Gray, railroad ticket agent at Bridgewater, professed to own me. He was a tolerable-sized man, with very large whiskers and dark hair. He was rather a steady kind of a man. He had a wife, but no child. The reason I left, I thought I had served slavery long enough, as I had been treated none the best. I did not believe in working my life out just to support somebody else. My master had as many hands and feet as I have, and is able to work for his bread as I am, and I made up my mind that I wouldn't stay to be a slave under him any longer, but that I would go to Canada and be my own master. James left his poor wife and three children, slaves perhaps for life. The wife's name was Esther Ann. The children were called Mary, Henry, and Harriet. All belonged to Jesse Layton. George Lewis had more years than any of his companions, being about forty years of age. 
He had been kept in as low a state of ignorance as the ingenuity of a slaveholder of Delaware could keep one possessed of as much mother-wit as he was, for he was not quite so ignorant as the interests of the system required. His physical make and mental capacity were good. He was decidedly averse to the peculiar institution in every particular. He stated that a man named Samuel Laws had held him in bondage, that this Laws was a man of no business, just sat about the house and went about from store to store and sat, that he was an old man, pretty gray, very long hair. He was a member of a church in the neighborhood, which was called Radical. Of this church and its members he could give but little account, either of their peculiarities or creed, he said, however, that they worshipped a good deal like the Methodists, and allowed their members to swear heartily for slavery. Something told George that he had worked long enough as a slave, and that he should be man enough to take the Underground Railroad and go off to a free country. Accordingly, George set out. When he arrived at the station, he was so highly delighted with his success, and the prospect before him, that he felt very sorry that he hadn't started ten years sooner. He said that he would have done so, but he was afraid, as slaveholders were always making the slaves believe that if they should ever escape, they would catch them and bring them back and sell them down south, certain that they always did catch everyone who ran off, but never brought them home, but sold them right off where they could never run away any more, or get to see their relatives again. This threat, George said, was continually rung in the ears of the slaves, and with the more timid, it was very effective. Jacob Bloxon, after reaching Canada, true to the pledge that he made to his bosom's companion, wrote back as follows. St. Catherine's, Canada West, December 26, 1858. Dear wife, I now inform you I am in Canada, and am well, and hope you are the same, and would wish you to be here next August. You come to Suspension Bridge, and from there to St. Catherine's, write and let me know. I am doing well, working for a butcher this winter, and will get good wages in the spring. I now get two fifty a week. I, Jacob Bloxon, George Lewis, George Allegood, and James Allegood are all in St. Catharines, and met George Ross from Lewis Wright's, Jim Bloxon is in Canada West, and Jim Delaney, Plunneth Conan. I expect you, my wife Leah Ann Bloxon, my son Alexander, and Lewis, and Ames, will all be here, and Isabella also, if you can't bring all, Alexander surely. Write when you will come, and I will meet you in Albany. Love to you all, from your loving husband, Jacob Bloxon. Fair through $12.30 to here. Mr. Still, sir, you will please envelope this and send it to John Shepherd Bridgeville, P., office in Sussex County, Delaware. Seal it in black and oblige me, write to her, to come to you. End of section 12